0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we'll probably continue with our... uh, our discussion of elder and eldership, somehow or other, uh, over the centuries, the term elder became an office of the church in the minds of many people. And there's really nothing in the text to to make you think that an elder is an office of the church, especially once you understand what the early church was doing and how it was doing it. And uh, these are going to be part of the topics of discussion. And I'll repeat some of the things that we've said in the previous shows. But it really would be helpful to a lot of people if they go through the the whole series of shows, download them as podcasts, whatever, and, and re-listen to them and ponder what we're saying and think about it in the context of what, you know, you imagine or you discern or is revealed to you as to what the church was supposed to do and how it possibly could do it. And this is one of the things a lot of people just simply don't understand. There's four ways to provide for the welfare of society. I've actually said at times there's two, but there's really two systems that you can use to provide for the welfare of society, but there are at least four ways in which you can, and, and you could, you could itemize these things into lots of different ways, but if you come down to just very fundamental distinctions, and this is, this is a lot in, that leads to understanding is where you make your division and uh, distinctions. This is because of where you place your values, and your values will make those distinctions. And we're going to talk briefly about how the values of people today are being distorted in vast numbers uh and how that's come about. And the fact is, is that you're going to probably have to spend 40 years in the desert for a whole generation to die out to get these ideas out of your head because they've been put in there. Systematically, they've been put in there. And you don't even know it's happening. You, the people who are seduced by these false realities can't just let them go they are ingrammed into them it's kind of like uh, cowbirds in the nest a cowbird doesn't have its own nest it lays its eggs in other birds nests and the other birds raise the cowbird as if the cowbird was their chick and of course it grows real fast and usually either kills or pushes the other chicks out of the nest and the parents think it's their chick and they raise it up. Uh, the, the process that's going on today is a little bit different of that. Uh, you know, songbirds, when they, when they're in the nest, they hear their parents singing and they learn to sing the song of their parents. And what's happening is that the parents are not raising their children they're turning them over to public school uh, high schools college and by the time they come out of college their minds belong to another group of people not to their parents and parents for years parents have been coming to me for some reason i guess because i homeschooled my kids and say where do our kids get these ideas well where did you send them you sent them to public school you you didn't read have you read every school book your kids study from then you if you haven't you don't know what they're teaching your children uh if you'd have you gone into college uh classes into college universities to find out what they're teaching there and it it is shocking it is absolutely shocking to the imagination you could not even imagine some of the the more devious and and horrible ideas and philosophies that are being taught there. But anyway, what are those four ways in which you take care of the welfare of society? Uh, You know, the uh, people can collectively... Well, first, uh, part which is a non-system, people who care about their neighbors, can randomly help out each other. That, that's one way to do it. But that's not really a system. That's a non-system. Uh, an antithesis, antithesis to that is that people who have needs can randomly go out and take from people who have stuff. And we call that thievery or stealing or, you know, burglary or whatever. But people do that. That is a way in which they take care of the needy of society is they go out and take from those who have. And that's one way to do it. And for centuries, there's been millions upon millions of people who actually survive that way. They either take or they, uh, uh, you know, they, uh, embezzle or they They sneak out, you know, and somehow or other trick other people to get their money. And that, it's dishonest, yes, but it's a way in which a lot of people have survived over the centuries. But as far as actual systems, that's a random thing too. Actual systems, we have two basic systems. Uh, where one is where the people in one way or another collectively force people who have what they want to give to the government, and the government redistributes the wealth. We call it socialism, democratic socialism, communism, uh, you know, there's lots of different ways, but even, even uh, monarchies can do this. The monarchy taxes the people, uh, the emperor of Rome taxed the people and then provided free bread for the people. They also got lots of funds from people they conquered. But whether you're conquered by the sword or conquered by the benefits that are offered, you're still conquered people. And that's one of the more subtle ways in which you conquer people is you lay out a table of benefits and you offer it to the people and the people take up those benefits. They eat at the table of rulers. And you go back to Proverbs tells you not to do that. Um, Proverbs also tells you not to, uh, lurk privately for gain by coming together and saying, let's all have one purse. That's socialism, collectivism. And that you end up with these rulers who are going to force the contributions of the people and then redistribute the wealth according to the way they need. And of course they do this to, develop popularity amongst the people so they give away lots of gifts that people like and people vote for them i mean that's why the democrats want all the immigrants coming into the country is they can't get enough votes with americans so they have to get that that's why they're pushing for i mean they're worried about russian involvement in the election and then they're pushing to have foreigners vote in american elections in the u.s elections They want foreigners to be able to vote. They don't want ID at the polls because then a lot of people who are voting that should not be legally voting would be found out, and there wouldn't voter fraud would not be so easy. So, you know, and I'm not saying that the Republicans don't do bad things too, but that's certainly a Democratic scheme right now. It's very clear, and that's why they want. People pouring into this country. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't realize that there's other people who want people pouring into this country, which is why millions and millions of dollars have been spent to fund, uh, these guys who want nations without borders, which I would like to see nations without borders. I would like to be able to travel across any border anytime and visit any people in any, any land. And I'd like them to come, be able to come here. I'd even like it if people could move here. But the problem is you created a socialist welfare statement where, you know, uh an illegal immigrant. I mean, the people say, oh, illegals aren't allowed to get welfare benefits. Oh, well, yeah, right. That's not true. Uh, I mean, technically it's true in, in one aspect of welfare. But welfare, I mean, public school is welfare. Uh, you know, there's lots of, you know, being able to get a job is welfare. And uh to to in this day and age, because you have to have government ID in order to get a job, but you don't have to have government ID to uh vote. <laughs> so I mean it's it's strange. But anyway, the point is is that they they get more benefits commonly speaking, if you went out and looked and actually could do a survey, which is very difficult because they're illegals, it's in part of the dark economy. They can they can get more benefits, financial benefits, than you will get on Social Security for your Social Security payment. Although, you get other benefits other than Social Security payment if you're aged. So, some of those MEMS that are out there, they're not really as honest as they should be. But, why are they getting any at all? See, as long as you're going to be giving them out, people are going to want to pour across the border because... If you got half the benefits that they probably are going to be able to obtain and a little bit of work besides, you know, because they're, they know where the black market for work is. So they'll make, they'll make cash on the side and get government benefits and they'll live in, you know, a house with 20 people and they'll have money to send home that will make their family rich. And I understand the desire to do that, but it's not healthy because of the fact that they're also Huge criminal elements that are coming across the border. So is the solution to build a wall? No, the solution is that we become the wall. A wall of righteousness. If you were the, if you were really a Christian nation doing what Christ said to do, you could have open borders. But you can't have open borders with the systems that you have created. The systems that you have created are not according to the ways of Christ. It's not according to the ways of Christ. But another thing we see going on is, I mean, you got uh, congressmen and senators saying things like uh, comparing uh, ICE uh, with the KKK. I mean, that's just nonsense. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And, uh, you know, you have guys coming out and attacking uh, Kavanaugh, who I have serious problems with uh, some of his interpretations of the Constitution. But that's your government you you can do whatever you want, but instead of dealing with the actual issues, they made up issues and they attacked him and then now, one of the lawyers who was all against him and saying, "You should believe all women now he's being accused of beating a woman and actually she's she's got real bruises in real time to show for it <laughs> and uh, he says, "I wouldn't do that. I have two daughters." So did Kavanaugh have two daughters? And it it appears that Kavanaugh didn't do any of the things that they said he did. And they certainly don't have any evidence of it. And besides, it was really, really wasn't the issues that people should have been looking at. But they don't look at the issues they should be looking at. And, of course, I'm not trying to get you to be better citizens of the United States or citizens of Australia or citizens of Great Britain. I want you to become better uh people seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness I I was looking up a certain quote this morning that somebody had on the on the, the, they put on Facebook somebody I've respected for years and and he put a quote up there and I made a comment about the quote that he put up but uh uh, I came across another quote, quote that says, uh, we are losing sight of civility in government and politics. Debate and dialogue is taking uh a back seat to political destruction and anger and control. Dogma has replaced thoughtful discussion between people of different views. And of course, that's why, you know, that, that reality is why people like Jordan Peterson and the Weissman brothers and, and Ben Shapiro and Richard Harris, all of whom are completely different ideologies and, and dogmas or th- ways of thinking, uh, they can sit down and talk for hours and people come by the thousands to hear what they have to say. Because they actually, and they disagree with each other, but they civilly disagree with each other. And they do come into agreement about a number of things, but they have a lot of fundamental disagreements. But they respect one another, and they talk things out, and people learn from listening to them. You don't get that in the political arenas today. You get you get destructive, angry, irrational behavior. And the funny thing about it to me when I, I I I looked at that quote and I thought well that's that's true I see that going on I thought well who said this and a guy named James McGreevy and I thought well who's James McGreevy well he happens to be uh he was one of the first openly gay governors in the United States and uh he was governor for only 2 years because he had to step down because someone he appointed, which was a real controversial appointment, because the guy he appointed had no skill, uh, for the job he was appointed to, uh, but he ended up suing James McGreevy for sexual harassment, because evidently, he's a guy, gay guy from Tel Aviv, which is not unusual, evidently, to have a gay guy from Tel Aviv, and, uh, and uh he was saying that James McGreevey was sexually harassing him. So this was the governor of the state. <laughs> so he ended up stepping down. So to me, that, this is all kind of bizarre. I'm from the old school and these kinds of things shouldn't even go on. And are very confusing. What the heck are people thinking? And But it's really kind of a culmination of my last couple of weeks. Because I've been listening... I downloaded, figured out how to do it, downloaded podcasts from numerous universities and college professors, uh, people with doctorates, uh, you know, and uh, philosophy and theology, and and they were having discussions with students and giving talks online about a variety of different philosophers that uh, I've heard of, but I really didn't know about those philosophers in great detail. So I've been looking at and studying what these ideas are that are floating around in our universities and trying to figure out what is going on. Why why are people coming to the conclusions and the way of thinking that they come to? And, you know, I'm reminded of uh, what Abraham Lincoln once said, the philosophy of the schoolroom is one gener- in, in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. So, the problems that James McGreevy, which he is actually a part of the problem, but the problem that he has seen is coming from the philosophy of the schoolroom, which begins in the school books 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. So, the reality is that those philosophies have gotten into you they've gotten into your children and they're getting into your children's children and and you know i have i have children i have grandchildren i have great-grandchildren and uh, my children never went to school uh they were all home taught but i had a devil of a time finding school books Because I would go through, I would read every school book I could get my hands on to try to find out which ones were the best ones for my kids. And I had to go back a hundred years to find good school books. You know, Charles and Mary Beard, when it came to history, were pretty good school books. But I could see the school books as they got farther down, they were, well, they didn't even mention this. They didn't even mention that. No, they're talking about this. and That's not really true. And... I knew some of these things were not true because of my own education. Now I was attending St. Joseph's College back in 1962, which is many, many years ago. And I had read lots of history books. But I had also gone and had a period of time with my first son especially where I went back and actually read the writings of people who were living in history. I wasn't reading someone's opinion about them, but I was actually reading what they were saying, and I was seeing a pattern of distortion in what was going on at that time, because if you actually read their letters and what they're saying to each other and their conversations and what they're writing, you get a better view of history a lot of times than you do if you just read somebody else's opinion, some history book. Uh, Charles and Mary Beard were pretty good. There were a number of other historians who were pretty good. But the farther you got away from that period, the more you got past the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you saw a distortion of history. Uh, sometimes by omission, but sometimes just by adding stuff. And now, now, people have no idea. I, I, I listened to these college professors bragging holding up on a pedestal people like karl marx uh derrida uh just i mean you go through a long list of uh people derrida is more of a philosopher than uh karl marx it was karl marx was this political activist and putting down people like thomas jefferson and and uh and some of these other men who were considered founders of at least the united states government uh, or at least uh, they were certainly a part of the Declaration of Independence. And they defame their character and hold up Karl Marx as if Karl Marx was some kind of a saint. And, and a number of other people, you know, I mean like Derrida was a womanizer. Uh, and, but then they mix in people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King like the, and, and they throw out all these names like they're talking about people that they really know. And, and across the board they all hate Trump. You know, and I'm I'm not an advocate of Trump, but there's this inordinate. I mean, he's supposedly racist. There's no. I have not yet found any evidence that he's what you would categorize as a racist. And, and you know, I've talked to people from uh, all over the world about this, and none of them can give me information that shows that he's a racist. I mean, I just heard this uh, Acosta, who's a CNN guy, saying you know, the racist thing because uh, they said something about the uh, caravan that's coming. Uh, he referred to it as an invasion, uh, the president did, and he says, why are you saying they're invading? They're hundreds of miles away from the border. Well, what kind of... Why why make that racist comment? Wait a minute, why is that a racist comment? <laughs> that's not a racist comment. And, you know, where are they headed? They're headed to the border. It doesn't matter if they're a hundred miles away. That's where they're headed. (laughs) And they said that that's what they want to do is cross the border even illegally because they, they could have applied for asylum in, in their own country. They could, they're supposed to apply for asylum in the first country they come to. Mexico has already offered them asylum and international law states that if you're looking for asylum, you're supposed to apply for asylum in the very first country that you come to. And if you go down there and interview them on a personal basis like you know like uh, uh people have done, you know, gone around and interviewed them, they they admit they're coming for the benefits. They're coming to improve themselves economically, which I think is fine. It's great. But you don't do it by a mass invasion caravan. Uh you work towards it. There are people in line to get into America. America takes more people in than almost anybody worldwide and has for uh, centuries now. But you should, you should do it in line. (laughs) Legally, that's the government you guys have created. So anyway, there's another quote, and I'm I'm just going to give you the quote, I'm not going to say who said it, because actually I don't believe he said it, but this is the one I saw on Facebook. Government can give you nothing but what it takes from somebody else. A government big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take everything you've got, including your freedom. Who said that? We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, did you figure out who said that? I actually uh, saw a meme on Facebook by somebody who I've known for years and years and years, and he put this meme up, and it had that quote in it. And it sounded very familiar because it actually, uh, Gerald Ford said something very similar. Uh Ronald Reagan said something very similar. I think you can actually find where Jefferson said similar things as well as some of the other so-called founding fathers. I hate that term, founding fathers, because uh, they're not my father. My father was back, my great-great-great-grandfather was back there, <laughs> but he wasn't one of those guys. Not that those guys are bad guys. I don't want to pick on those individuals. I don't even want to pick on that uh, greedy fella. You know, I'm trying to show you how a spirit of thinking gets into your mind and begins to uh, distort the way you see everything, distorts the way in which you take in information. And and the way in which you disseminate information and share information. And to try to awaken you enough so that you will see how you can believe a lie and go under a strong delusion. And how you can lose the generations to come, your children, the minds of your children. You can lose them to the philosophy of the schoolroom. Because the schoolroom gets into... I mean, it says fathers teach their sons. It doesn't say fathers turn your sons over to somebody else to teach. It's that simple. Now, maybe I'm taking that quote too far. But from what I'm seeing, I don't think people are taking that quote far enough. Because they're losing their children. And once their children get some of these ideas, everything is filtered through that process. They they can't see things clearly. One of the problems is is that the process that they filter information through is what I call the tree of knowledge. It's a a tree of information. And uh, sometimes the tree of information has so many branches you cannot see through the branches enough to realize that you're in the wrong tree. <laughs> Your tree of knowledge is a tree of deception because it allows you to be deceived. So how do you know when you're being deceived? Well, we're going to get to that eventually, uh, but I, I'm not going to give it away to you right at the beginning because of the fact that part of being able to use the tree of life is a process of personal discovery i cannot I cannot tell you uh, some piece of information that you can put in your head that will allow you to eat of the tree of life. The tree of life is not the tree of knowledge it's like you're not going to learn about the tree of life by eating of the tree of knowledge. you have to eat of the tree of life the tree of life is over here in revelation. And, and spiritual intuition, etc. And how do you know if you're plugging into the Holy Spirit or some unholy spirit that it can appear as an angel of light? And so, you know, if you've tracked with what I've just said, and almost nobody understands entirely what I just said, uh, but that's where you need to go. You need to plug into the Holy Spirit. And you're not going to do that by cracking the books or listening to my audios or reading all the web page. I'm not saying don't do those things. You're better off reading that than CNN. <laughs> but I've even read CNN. But I read it from another point of view, from another perspective. And so I can see the lies. You can actually, when you plug into the Holy Spirit, you can hear the spirit of evil in the tone of people's voices you don't even need to know what they're actually saying you'll know that what realm that those words are coming out of there is a there's it's not really a tone but yet it, i i don't know how to describe it anything other than a tone and so it's really been a struggle this last few weeks to listen to these <laughs> uh phd's uh speaking to your youth uh, brainwashing them, uh, because they themselves are brainwashed. You know, they're not all doing it out of maliciousness. The, they're almost all doing it, most of all of them that I heard, I could hear the spirit of vanity there. Uh, but they, they're deceived as well. So to know who is the prophet of the beast and who is simply someone duped, we will have to have great trials and tribulations. And during those trials and tribulations, the truth will come out as to who really loves you, baby, uh, to quote Kojak. Uh, and do you really love Christ? Do you really love God the Father? Or do you love yourself more than you love your neighbor? Because this is the question that's going to be answered in the hard times to come. Uh Israel had the same problem was in bondage in Egypt. And so they had to pay their tally of bricks but clean in the field at night for their straw. In other words, provide the benefits of society to faith, hope, and charity. This is what they were doing during these plagues. And we will see plagues again. And uh we already see, I mean, there are always disasters. We just had, we talked last week about the fire in paradise, which is a part of the early... We mentioned in the early part of this series on elders and eldership. And, you know, there's another fire. We just heard it on the news before the beginning of the show that's going in LA and people are burned up in their car. And, you know, the fire in Paradise was called the Campfire. And uh, so you think it had something to do with somebody's campfire, right? <laughs> it actually was, it appears that it was an electrical fire caused by the power company that knew there were high winds coming and they didn't deactivate the power lines. And the power lines caused the fire to start. And then they didn't use the Amber Alert to make people aware that a fire was coming through and the high winds, of course, were pushing the flames. And really bad management on the part of the Forest Service as well as the local uh, communities for cleaning up the debris around and all this stuff. And of course, there's a lot of people out there saying that, you know, bringing in all kinds of theories about high energy weapons. But, I mean, the fire was out of control. There's no two ways about it. However, it started. And, uh, you know, the re- reality is, I can show you, we had a fire come through our community just this last year. And I think they call it the something box fire, or lunch box fire, or something. Anyway. Uh, they had some name they put on it. And I, I was watching the f- flames, uh, through the satellite, seeing where they were going, and you could see that they would burn up to certain areas and they would stop, and then they'd burn all the way around those areas, and then they'd start up again. Well, I know those areas. Up in the forest. You know, we, they wouldn't let you go up there, but I knew what was happening. Because, where they, the fire stopped? Private land. <laughs> <laughs> Because the private land is managed, they don't want to lose the asset, so they go out there and they clear away the debris and the brush and and uh, they open up the meadows, uh, which is great for the the you know for wildlife and livestock and everything else. And so the fires came up there, and they were able to defend those those places and stop the fires from burning their trees. Forest Service, they just went through there like because. They have all this downed wood and dead and diseased wood and because of poor management. And I'm speaking from experience. I went to the University of uh, Minnesota, uh, in forestry. Uh, I got a scholarship. Uh, I was one of the highest scorers in, in our, uh, class and, uh, I worked for both federal and state and private as well, uh, forestry systems and, uh, so i know what i'm talking about and i was reading silver culture forestry books when i was eight years old <laughs> so uh it, it the the forest service is horrible management of the forest service and it's not much better than the blm now i'm not condemning all those people uh they're faced with bureaucracy i had the same problem when i worked for the state forest service it's actually i had a a number of very humorous run-ins when I was working for the Federal Force because I would stand up and speak out about things. And uh, But I won't go into those at, at this time. You just have to catch them in one of our other recordings. I know I've talked about them before. But the reality is, is that uh, it's, it's very difficult to bring common sense to these giant bureaucracies uh, where people go by the rule book rather than what they know is right because I, I could sit there and show them right in their rule book. I said this won't work. Look here, I can show you, and they would agree. You're right, that won't work, but we have to do it that way because it's in the book. I mean, that's it. That's crazy. That's crazy. But they do that because that's their Bible. That's where their faith is, and they're afraid to do anything other than that. But anyway. So what's happening is that in the colleges and the universities as well as in your churches ideas are being put into your mind that simply aren't true. You know like Pat uh um uh, uh, Mark Twain says it's not so much what you don't know it's what you absolutely know is true that just ain't so that's going to get you into trouble. And that's what it's like when it comes to uh Uh, a lot of things. I mean, even this global warming that we see running on and on about uh, this and, you know, the climate change and all this. uh, uh, They even blame the fire on global warming. And, and, you know, a highly intelligent individual uh, named Mass who came out with an article and he's gone and looked at the actual data, uh, citing official state of California data, Mass this guy, Mass, points out that his weather and climate, and he does this in his weather and climate blog, that the numbers of California wildfires over the past 30 years has declined, dropping roughly in half. (laughs) So, but the news reporting is way up. And some of the intensity of the fire is up, but the acreage is not really that, that high. He says, uh, it is uh, difficult to credibly assert global warming is responsible for the California wildfires when the wildfires are currently much rarer than they were three decades ago. And, and he goes on and he explains what actually caused the fires and how the, why the fires were moving so rapidly. And, and it, there's, but the media presents these things and you just believe everything they say. Uh, you know, global warming and, and all that stuff. Actually, uh Sarkova is an astrophysicist from Northumbria University in the United Kingdom and a whole team of researchers say, based on the mathematical model of the sun's magnetic activity, it's likely Earth will experience decreasing magnetic waves over a 30-year period beginning in 2021. That means global cooling. Global warming, I've always said that any anomalies that you may discover in, in, you know, in their uh, mathematical models about global warming is probably due to the sun. The sun has vastly more effect on our global temperatures than anything that man can do. More carbon dioxide? No. That is, that isn't gonna do it. You can go back in history and we've had higher levels of carbon dioxide than we have today. And, uh, things not only did not go extinct, uh, life flourished here more than probably any other period according to what the archaeologists are, uh, are, you know, are, are telling us. That is just not the case. But, you know, there's other, uh, observatories, uh, like the Swiss Federal Institute of, uh, Aquatic science and technology. They they come out with the same figures in their own models that they put together at the University of Bern. They're talking about uh, uh, serious periods of global cooling. Well, global cooling is more likely to cause famine and has in the past than global warming because crops don't grow well. <laughs> it's get too cool. I mean in 500 a.d people were eating each other in both china and europe because the crops failed so consistently because of global cooling now that that may have had a little bit to do with the sun but it also seems to have something to do with volcanoes but the reality is sometimes volcanoes have to do with activities on the sun whether people want to believe that or not and go into great detail and have at other times explaining that but you know the monder minimum and lower magnetic activity in these many ice ages back in 1645 and 1715. These are all real things, you know. The Thames River really froze over. Uh, that that's, that's a real thing. <laughs> Londoners were freezing uh, to death in the temperatures that took place during those periods of time. And people went hungry and starved. Uh, so, but we, people, the kids talking about, you know, climate deniers are great, uh, advertisement for their thing. It, you know, all this whole global warming thing. I've actually looked at the data from the scientists who originally came up with this global warming deal and listened to them in their lectures. They're not, uh, some of them are really not very bright. They were like picked up out of a hat or something. I don't know. And, uh, they're, they've admitted now that their models Show a 70% possibility of error. That's huge. <laughs> just a few years out that their numbers just disappear. The reality is you can go back to the 20s. They were predicting that by the 1950s that the poles would be completely melted. Not the case. These guys. And, and they're going off some of that same early data that proves, has already proven for decades upon decades upon decades to be false. The whole thing is promoted, in my opinion, to get to carbon taxes on people so that they, they all say, oh yes, we need that. And, uh, and they're actually, uh, but the, the thing that I'm most concerned with is the state of your mind, how it can so easily be taken over. You have no intuitive understanding of nature around you and how it works, how wildfires do travel, how they take place, and what... They, I actually saw somebody putting a video on the Internet trying to say that, you know, that these high-energy beams were causing these fires. And I'm not going to say that there isn't some possibility high-energy beams are used somewhere. They, maybe it could be. But the stuff that I see going on the Internet proving it, Don't prove anything. I mean, one guy was showing these cars all burned up and everything. He was on a, he was on a movie set. He's an actor. He even admits he's an actor. It's a, it's a movie set that was set up. It's all props for a movie. And he's saying that this was the California fires. It's not. (laughs) But people believe it. You know, and, and there are numerous people out there putting out fake news. Because they love to be heard. They love to be believed. They love to see the effect that they're trying. That's what they're really trying. It's a vanity thing. They want to see, they want to affect the lives of other people. They want to make them be happy, sad, frightened, whatever. I want you to wake up. That's all I want you to do. I don't need your approval. I am perfectly happy without you. God has told me to come and tell you what's really going on, and I only bring up all these other things so you realize how people can be so easily fooled one way or the other. I show, you know, not, not that you know all Democrats are completely fooled, or that all Republicans uh, or conservatives uh, have an understanding and comprehension of reality, because they don't either. The kingdom of God. Was preached by Christ, and if you were actually—if all the people say they are Christians, and all the uh, just the just the people say they're Christians—we don't need to get into the Jews and the Muslims and all that. Were actually doing what Christ said, you would affect all of nature, all of politics, all of the economy in a positive way, so that you would not be headed for the disaster that you're presently headed for if half of the people who said that they are Christians were actually doing what the early church was doing, if if 10% of the 40,000 denominations out there were actually doing what Jesus and the early church were doing, if they were actually doing that today, it would change the course of history away from the disaster that is coming upon us. but, I don't know if they're willing to make that change. Uh it, it's it's really kind of scary uh, to even see the way people are going. So who who said governments can give you nothing but what it takes from somebody else? A uh, government that big can that can can uh, can give you all these things can also take away all these things including your freedom. Well, the quote that was put up on Facebook says Ezra Taft Benson, but myself and other people who are researching this cannot find anywhere where he said that <laughs> except in this meme that's traveling around from Pinterest all over the internet but the truth is what he said is is true and that's why Gerald Ford said something similar and Reagan said something similar and you can actually find a number of other people who said things that are similar and so but the problem is, is that people think well that's that's government But there's another form of government, and this is what I posted to him. I I don't have it in front of me, but I just have to do it from memory, is that there's another form of government that provides the welfare of society without taking from your neighbor, without forcing the contributions of the people. And that's what we were talking about at the beginning of this, was the church. It was what Christ preached. But yet, most of your denominations today think it's absolutely okay to force their neighbors to contribute to their welfare at the point of the government's gun. They think that's okay. That's in their head and acceptable in their mind. And that, my friends, is the mark of the beast. Because the mark of God is that that's not okay and not only is that not okay, but it's only you're only a believer in Christ if you actually physically strive to love your neighbor as yourself through faith, hope, and charity, which is the only righteous way to govern yourselves or your community is to, you have to individually lay down your life for your fellow man One dollar at a time, one bag of weed at a time, whatever it is that you contribute. That's, that's the only way to freedom. If you're not gathering together for that purpose, you will not be free. It's just, it's just built in to, to reality and to life. And, And it's been built in there long before Christ. Which is why, you know, I, I've quoted, and here's a quote, I've, quoted this so many times, I should have it totally memorized, but I I stumble at it. It's kind of a long quote. The masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by way of the rule of force and violence. The people, having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others and to depend for their livelihood on the property of others, institute the rule of violence. And now uniting their forces, massacre, banish, and plunder until they, they degenerate again into perfect savages and find once more a master and a monarch. If you go that way of obtaining benefits by forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, by distributing the wealth through a system of force, a governmental force, collective or not, doesn't matter, social democracy, Uh, or democratic socialism, or whatever, doesn't matter. If you're going to do it by force, rather than free will offerings, by faith, hope, and charity, which is what John the Baptist said, what David said, what Paul said, what Jesus said, if you're not going to do it that way, if you're going to do it through a system of force, you're going to degenerate into perfect savages. And then you're going to, you know, do those things that Mr. Uh, Grevy was so grieved about. You know, this idea of uh, losing sight of civility in government and politics and life itself. And you'll be outside somebody's house chanting and screaming, you know, and threatening his family. And think, you're righteous when you do that, but you're actually a bloody savage trying to devour one another and you this is why it's so important to understand what elder is and what eldership is and that's why we're going to go into that more deeply now we'll be right back well welcome back to Keys of the kingdom so uh that little quote that i gave you again last uh show and that was polybius He was talking 150 years before Christ and understood that if your society is dependent upon contributions that are forced from the people to take care of the needy of society or the needs of society or the needs of individuals in society, you're going to degenerate society. You're going to degenerate society in spirit and in mind and in body you actually weaken it so that it will be more subject to plagues. And I'm not going to go into unpacking that or explaining all that right now. But you need to see that. That's part of what you will begin to see if you were actually doing what Christ said to do. And instead, we have these churches that are out there doing something quite contrary to what Christ. They say it's absolutely okay to pray to the fathers of the earth, to men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. All you have to do is believe and come to my church and support us at our church. That is, the church is not there to be your comforter. That's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is supposed to be comforting each and every one of you. Each of you should have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not an emotional feeling that was going to creep in and deceive women and steal their houses, which I have seen these churches do time and time again. You have little old ladies contributing to their ministry, on and on and on, giving them all kinds of money, but if that old lady needs real help, she's sent to the governments who exercise authority. Because the churches are not... Do- there is no daily ministration. There is nobody rightly dividing the bread from house to house. You are not eating of the manna or the Eucharist of Christ. You're eating of the free bread of Rome, which ain't so free. It's an oxymoron. It costs you. It snares you. It makes you merchandise. And it curses your children with debt and makes you a surety for debt and turns you into a thing that is possessed. And it also... Changes the nature of your soul so that there is no place in you for the Holy Spirit. You will not be guided by the Holy Spirit. You will be guided by the unholy spirit. And people will present ideas and arguments to you and you will accept them. And you will not know how to argue against them. You will not know how to see the deception in them. You will believe a lie as if it is the truth and you will go under a strong delusion. And I know this is what you will do because you have already done it. All across this nation and every other nation, people are doing it. I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord so that you can see the way of the Lord. And the way of the Lord is to set the table of the Lord and take care of one another in faith, hope, and charity. And Christ knew that this is what you needed to do. So he commanded his disciples to make the people sit down in tens, hundreds, and thousands in voluntary groups and start loving one another, with, which means being charitable to one another, taking care of one another, caring about one another. Those two principles that divide the whole world. One is that you are willing to take the life of others. Take a bite out of one another. They talk about this in the New Testament. Taking a bite out of one another. Coveting one another's goods. Covetous practices entangling you again in the elements of the world. But those elements will break down and melt and be destroyed. But you will starve with the world unless you repent and go the other way. So, you're either making others lay down their life for your benefit, or you're laying down your life for their benefit, which we call charity. In the Old Testament, they called it free will offerings. So, they have all these questions about elders. Elders is an office of the family. You're... The head of the family is the elder of the family. And we're going to show you this in more ways, and more ways, and more ways. We're going to go through Titus and Timothy and show you that translators are traitors. It's right in there. They're telling you. They're not appointing elders of the church. They're appointing, appointing elders who are elders already to positions in the church, which there's really only one position in the church minister of 10 that's the only the only position in the church is minister of 10 now there's lots of things that that person could do he might be the minister of 10 elders of families or he might be 10 uh, minister of 10 elders of families who are ministers of 10 elders of families which would make him uh an episcopos an overseer of 100 by ministering to 10 Or he might be an overseer of 1,000 because he's ministering to 10 who are ministering to 10. But he is only a minister of 10. And if you are a minister of 10, who is your congregation? It's the other nine ministers you gather with. It's that simple. It's not complicated. It only seems complicated because you haven't been thinking in these terms. Once you start thinking in these terms, it's the only thing that makes sense. Unless unless you can come up with something that makes more sense. Because the, the kingdom of God is for the living. It's not for the dead. It's supposed to be helping you in real time. In the real world. In the world. Just not of the world. And the word they use there when they say of the world, they mean constitutional orders and systems of government that have benefactors or men who call themselves benefactors but exercise force. So this guy comes up with all these questions trying to tell what eldership is. And we have a page up on eldership now. And we will add these audios there eventually. Elder-led churches call some pastors and some elders. Well, the problem is, is he doesn't understand the church is led by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of Christ in us. And that may be in the elders of families. It may be... Uh, in all sorts of places, it hopefully it's in the the wives of the elders of the families and in the children of the elders of the families, but it we're not we're not exercising authority, so when they say elders led churches they are they talking about churches ruled by elders who are exercising authority one over the other? No, can't be not the Christian church. that'd have to be some other kind of church that might call itself Christian. But it might not be Christian. He says that this is, uh, d- is this just dis- distinguishing between staff who are paid and unpaid? Uh, and he asks, do you all see this? And how should it be handled? All these questions, does it matter? He goes on to ask. Do uh, you pay a children's minister, but not an elder? Uh, wh- what is, it? All these questions just go away once you understand what an elder really is. The responsibility of giving to the minister so that he will have bread that he can rightly divide from house to house to take care of the needy of society in pure religion only comes to him by the free charity, the free will offerings of the elders of each family. So, in that sense, the church is elder-led, but they're only going to be elder-led righteously if the elders are led by the Holy Spirit in their hearts and their minds. Well, how can the Holy Spirit enter, enter into you if you believe something that makes the Word of God did not effect, which is what the Pharisees believed. They believed that their Corbin was great. But their Corbin at that time was something you signed up for and they compelled the offerings of the people. They had to pay in. They were required to pay in a tithe through their system of Corbin. And that was making the word of God to none effect because the sacrifice of the people has always been, always been free will offerings. First time they forced an offering in the Bible is Saul. King Saul forced a sacrifice and he was condemned for it by Samuel. And Samuel even told him that he condemned his whole crown because he had forced an offering. And, and, you know, we have whole articles that take you through these, these step by step. Somebody on Facebook was talking about our articles on elements of the world, which is also translated rudiments of the world. And, uh, he says that, uh, and we quote it, you see it in Colossians, and you see it in Galatians, and, but you also see the word used by Peter. And he says, well, we pay no attention to context. Actually, we do pay attention to context. In the article, we explain the context. The context of the whole story of Peter. But what he's really saying when he says that we don't do it in, in context, is in the context of his thinking. (laughs) Because when Peter uses uses the word elements, he's talking about elements of the world melting with a fervent heat. Well, people want to interpret that as nuclear explosions and that the world is destroyed and all this stuff. But when they talk about the end of the world, they're not talking about the end of the planet. They're talking about the end of the constitutional orders and systems of government they are destroyed with a fervent heat. And that fervent heat is the heat of the Lord. (laughs) But but if you've already accepted this other idea, then when you look at what Peter says, you're seeing it in the context of your mind. And you cannot see it otherwise. So all I can do is encourage them to keep on reading and see if if all the pieces of the puzzle don't fit. Because they, they do fit but they only fit if you start understanding what these pieces are. They ask the question, are pastors required to give a tithe or give? What do you mean required? You know, taxes are required. If you don't pay them, somebody arrests you and throws you into jail. Tithes, loving your neighbor, charity, has always been required by God, but God is the enforcer. The pastor's not the enforcer, so yeah, we don't require it. But if you do not contribute to your minister, how is he going to rightly divide the bread from house to house? See, there is distribution of wealth in the kingdom, but the power of that distribution is in your hands. You can't be everywhere and check on every widow every day, and, and you can't make sure that you're offering, you know, like, I mean, who do you know? We... We told you about the weed fire when they had the weed fire in California, which is just a few years ago, racing through, wiping out homes and everything. That wasn't caused by global warming either. But we sent aid down right away because we knew people in weed. And and our aid got right where it needed to go right away. And everything was going out to other people and the food. Was, the kitchen was almost empty. The guys putting, uh, giving out free, uh, food to the people who were needy. They, they were just about out of supplies and we showed up with a whole big van full of supplies and all that stuff was used. The stuff that the local community sent down to a guy who worked for the Forest Service ended up 40 miles away in a warehouse sitting in a big pile and most of it never got used. A lot of it got thrown away. Well, the local community just took up another collection and I think a whole semi went down with stuff to uh the people at uh, Paradise. And I, I don't know. I don't know anybody in Paradise. So we didn't send down a truck because they're not in the network. This is why it's important to get into a network of people who are actually seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Is that we can't help you And you won't be good at helping others unless you gather together and have a follow-up people who actually know where things are going. It's just practical sense, common sense. And so that's why you only have ministers of 10. You don't have ministers of 100 because you can't keep track of a 100. But you can know 10 men, 12 men, 15 men. And if you're in this network, you can... There's accountability, everybody's checking on everybody else and everybody's expecting everybody to know where did that stuff go to, did it get to where it was needed? Did we do a good job? It's going to take some learning to learn how to do this. And every elder of every family is responsible for his part of the network of God, which we call the church. Because he's got to pick ministers who make sure the job gets done. And those ministers have to pick ministers to make sure that the job gets done. Because sometimes it's not just your local congregation or even your con- uh, congregation of a hundred families. So all these questions are, are really simple once you understand that elders in office of the family and elders who met the qualifications that we see in Timothy and Titus, those are the ones that you pick for being the ministers of the tens, hundreds, and thousands. It's not an authoritarian church. It's a church of service. This is why Christ says the rank in the church is determined by how well somebody serves, not how somebody rules over you and dictates doctrine to you. We don't do that. Who wrote the doctrine of the church? You go go down the, the street corner and find all the denominations in your church. And you go in there and you ask them, can we see your doctrine? And you read it over yourself. You just do this on your own if you want. I've already done this uh, time and time again. 80 to 90% of the words that you see in the doctrines of these churches are not the words of Jesus Christ. They're not what He said. And if you look in the Bible for what Christ actually said to do, and you may need some help with the Greek at times because some of the translations are not really well done, but if you you don't really need it if you have the Holy Spirit entering into you, and you will have the Holy Spirit entering into you if you actually are repenting, which means thinking a different way, and start thinking that it realize, oh my gosh, I should not be forcing my neighbor to contribute to my welfare. I should not be coveting my neighbor's goods. I should not be desiring benefits from men who take away from my neighbor. That's going to degenerate me and make me a perfect savage. And I will find myself subject to tyrants and despots. When you start realizing that, you're thinking different than all those college professors and those college students and those communists and socialists and democratic socialists out there in the world. And you're actually thinking a lot different than most of the conservatives. Because a lot of the conservatives, they'll say that in one breath and the next breath, but don't touch my social security. <laughs> well, I don't want to touch your social security. <laughs> And I don't want to begrudge you your Social Security, but I can't change what it is. The money you've sent into Social Security, that's gone. That ain't there no more. The whole reason they started this is because they were bankrupt. They were already bankrupt. Social Security not bankrupt now. It was bankrupt when it started. That's why they started it. They needed more collateral for debt. And if you signed up, you became surety for the debt. Of the United States because there is no division of funds. There's never been a separate account that was ruled by the Supreme Court time and time again from the beginning. <laughs> so, But if you want to live in a delusion, go ahead and keep thinking what you've been thinking. But it just isn't true. And that's why we write these articles. I'm not going to go through, you know, every jot and tittle and explain to you. But I mean, the court cases, we quote them and show you that's the case. And if you're on Social Security now and you're, okay, I understand. I don't want you starving to death in the street. And I can't feed all of you. But you can turn around and start seeking one another, gathering together in congregations of 10. And start getting the word out about the website. You don't have to rewrite the website. I saw numerous people on Facebook in the last few days sharing the web pages. And they... they they people uh, read some of these things and they say, oh, well, this is different than what I say, and this must be wrong." No. Don't say it must be wrong because it's different. Show me where it's wrong. And, and we, yeah, you know, this is how we wrote this site. People trying to show us that we're wrong, and we went and looked, and we said, "No, we're not wrong." Now this is this is what it is. Now I can't prove every single thing, but there's a lot of proof there. But see, once you begin to see the truth, and see, and and God gives you eyes to see and ears to hear, I don't need to prove it anymore. You just, you realize, oh my gosh, I don't want to covet my neighbor's goods. I, I want to learn what it means to actually love my neighbor, to care for my neighbor, to lay down my life for my fellow man. I don't want to run out and jump on a grenade. There was a guy who just got a Congressional Medal of Honor because uh, he jumped on a grenade that came into their Humvee. I think they were in a Humvee somewhere. And, you know, I I wasn't there. I mean, I I think it would have been better if you threw it back out the window or something. But, you know, whatever. I don't want to belittle the, the guy. But I don't want you jumping on grenades, okay? I don't want you killing yourself. I don't want you, you know you know tearing up your id and running out and saying i'm free it's not about freeing you it's about freeing others because that's that's what you you cannot free yourself unless uh you care about others as mu- and their freedom as much as you care about your own and crippling yourself so you can't even make a living and you can't even provide for your family Or you don't even provide for your family, as I've seen with many guys. They didn't provide for their family. They even bragged about the fact that they couldn't be forced to provide for their family by the government. It's it's astounding. Something has to click off in your brain to think that that's okay. Now, and you have to see that. And then you, you can find your way back. I don't care where you are. You can find your way back if you start being willing to see the truth about where you have gone and what you have done. So, uh, he, he has all kinds of questions. Can you, a sick person go to any elder uh, or godly person according to James five fourteen fifteen? 15? And he goes on and on like this. The spirit is everywhere. At least where it wills. Uh, he talks about uh, what does honor mean in First Timothy 5.17? We'll get to that when we go through Timothy. But honor in the Old Testament in the Hebrew means to, to give, to honor thy father and thy mother. See, if you were really doing what the Old Testament was trying to tell you and what of that that Christ agreed with, because actually Christ agreed with Moses. We see that in Elijah. He didn't agree with the image of Moses and the image of Elijah that was presented by the Pharisees. Jesus agreed, this is the thing that I constantly hear amongst these, uh, these, uh, university professors, uh, who are, uh, the theologians who are trying to, I mean, you know, I have to use that term theologian really loosely because they have, they have so many different kinds of theology. You can get a degree in queer theology now you can get a degree in radical theology and uh and uh oh I mean uh, liberation theology which is just socialism uh, uh that there's no I won't go into all of it I have so many notes on this how people are so confused about this your study of God does not change God God is already and this is one of the things they're trying to prove that You know, that we can change God by the way in which we do things. We change God. No, you can't. (laughs) You can't change God. (laughs) Uh, God can uh, offer you grace. He can forgive you. But you have to change. We don't change God. (laughs) We are changed by God, by conforming to God. And we'll get into that. Some of the words that they use in Timothy and Titus. in great depth. And that's coming up. But we'll probably get to that next week. Um, this honor. If you were honoring your father and your mother. That means that when you turn 18 or 20 or 25. And you get out of college. And you go out and work. You should be sending some of the money you make. To your parents. And they should be taking that money. And uh improving their house. Their business. Whatever. Because when they die. You're going to inherit that anyway you know like if your parents wanted a cabin in the woods uh and you wanted a cabin in the woods well you should buy your parents a cabin in the woods first <laughs> and then you could inherit their cabin <laughs> when they die so it's a kind of win-win situation but the reality is you should be honoring your parents caring for your parents taking care of your parents but the system of the world, first thing they want to do is, do, oh, you don't have to do no more ought for your parents. We will take care of it. What you give to the temple will take care of your parents. That's what Social Security is. Social Security is so that you have to do no more odd, or at least less ought for your parents than you would have to do normally. I know people who say, oh, well, I've been taking care of my mom and my dad. What you've been doing is living at your mom and your dad's house on their Social Security check. Yeah, You might be taking care of them. I took care of my mom to some degree, although my mom did collect a check and all that kind of stuff. Most of all went away because they were still going to the doctors and the hospitals and all that. But I slept on the floor at the foot of her bed when she was in, in the last days of her life. My wife spent time there. My brother spent time there taking care of her because we didn't want her in a home. So we rented a place with all the money that she had. And so we weren't going to inherit that money because that was all going on to give her peace of mind while we came and took care of her because we thought we could do a better job than they were doing in these homes. And we did. And she lasted much longer. And we've done this with other people as well. You can do... But that takes sacrifice, you know. And But that that's what will open the door of the Holy Spirit to you not reading books, forever studying and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. You want to come to a knowledge of the truth, lay down your life for your fellow man in a righteous way. And that's why you have to start becoming elders of a congregation of people. Taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And that perfect law of liberty. And do it the way Christ said, sit down in tens. You don't... It's not about the building. I got that. Home church, great. Uh, Home church is a wonderful idea. But if that home church is not linked with all the other home churches in a system of international charity like we see Paul and Barnabas and Titus doing right away, out of the box, moving funds all over the Roman Empire to help out people in need when they're durst in the land... If your home church is not doing that, you have not yet arrived. <laughs> so, let's turn around and go the other way. Let's go the way of Christ. Let's gather together in these free assemblies. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, Elder, if you go to Preparing You, Preparing, y-o-u, dot com. We have a page on elders there. And uh, it it goes through this process of explaining. And we'll show you the Greek. And we'll show you the Latin. And we'll show you the Hebrew. As to what that word means. But the family was the institution of God. And elders were merely the heads of families. That's the way the word was used throughout the language for uh, languages for centuries. The early church in general was a network of families who came together in a particular kind of fellowship that bound their intentional communities, their local intentional communities together by love and charity in faith instead of by force, in hope instead of by the promise of entitlements at the expense of your neighbors and they did all this according to the perfect law of liberty and it was a network i had guys and i said this before we said oh well, that doesn't talk about a network anywhere in the bible yet there's jesus saying make the people sit down <laughs> in companies of 10 and ranks of a 100 and, and of 50s, which is 5,000, before the loaves and fishes so that they could rightly divide the bread from family to family because it was 5,000 men and their families sitting down in these groups of tens, one hundreds, and thousands to the tune of 5,000 people. And and so it was probably closer to 20,000 people. And they were going to Divide the bread, how are they going to do this? Well, they had to sit down in this group so that's the that's the network pattern and, and we show we wrote a whole book thy Kingdom come free online that shows you this was a pattern used before Christ after Christ Moses used it Jethro used it 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 goes back even before Nimrod of tens, hundreds, and thousands. so your little home church by itself is not what Christ was preaching. It may make you feel good. You may have a real good friends and you love one another and great. But Jesus said, don't thieves and robbers do the same? And the reality is is that if you're taking care of your parents and your grandparents and your child's education and everything else by praying to men who exercise authority, in other words, men who take away from your neighbors by force, to get those benefits, which the Bible calls the wages of unrighteousness because it's tamed by force, not by charity. Then you're just thieves and robbers too. Now people don't want to hear that. I understand you don't want to hear that. But it says with the, with the, the, uh, uh blade of my tongue. <laughs> That's all I'm doing is telling you. That's what it says. You're supposed to be living by faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty, not force and violence and, and the property of your neighbors. If you're living by the property of your neighbors, you're not the kingdom of God. So the elder was a Presbyteros. He was the head of a family. He was the oldest in a family. He, and he was the head of that family. The, the word only appears 60 times in the Bible, but there are other forms of the word that appear, and we'll talk about that in Timothy and Titus. Uh, the common Hebrew word for elder. Uh, over 170 times it appears in the Bible. Uh, translated old man, oldest man, even older woman. It's It means eldest of a family. Because again, the family is God's institution. It's God's government the natural family. And in that natural family, the elder of that family is king in that family. And his wife is queen in that family. And usually the eldest son, chosen by the king, the father, is the priest in that family. He handles the money and the distribution of the money amongst the sons and grandsons if they need it, you know, because he's the high priest of the family. And each of the other sons, they are cultivating their young children to become priests in their family. Someday they will be the eldest. But what of the national priesthood? The Coens? The priests of the nation? Well, the Levites were called out to be the priests of a nation. Because the nation is lots of families, lots of clans, lots of tribes gathered together and sometimes they have to gather together to help one another as a matter of fact that is one of the main criteria and the levites became an institution of god's government but they could not force the tithing of the people they were still talking free will offerings they didn't say charity they were talking free will offerings and sacrifice but then we hear that and this is what i was hearing from these uh and, and i'll talk more about it in uh, uh, other Places, but they kept saying that there was a difference between sacrifice and mercy. That God w- didn't want your sacrifice, He wanted your mercy. Well, He didn't want the sacrifice of the Pharisees. He didn't want the sacrifice of, uh, in the time of Jeremiah. Because they were, after the same era of Balaam and the same era of the Nicolaitan, they were, they went to a system of forced sacrifices compelled sacrifice, required sacrifices. You can't have mercy without sacrifice. They are two sides of the same coin. If you have mercy and forgive debt, you have sacrificed the right to collect that debt. You gave it up. That's sacrifice. If you feed the hungry, how did you feed the hungry? Sacrifice. There is no mercy without sacrifice, but there can be sacrifice without mercy. How do you do that? You go to that other system that forces the offerings of the people. That, their sacrifice. People say, oh, Jesus has done away with blood sacrifice. Well, somebody should tell the IRS that. <laughs> Well, you know, the IRS is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. Well, not always. I mean, there is a bureaucratic incompetence and overreaching and all that other stuff. But you'll find that in any of these institutions. But the reality is they're there to punish the wicked. Who are the wicked? The people who wanted to live at the expense of their neighbor. They wanted benefits. They wanted somebody to take care of my parents. Somebody to educate my children. Somebody to provide me with health care. Those are the wicked. And governments are there to punish them. Extreme cases of that, we see Stalinist Russia. <laughs> or or Mao's uh, uh, social reform. What what would he call it? Uh, revolution. Uh, uh, cultural revolution. Uh, you see extreme punishment for people who were seeking to rule over their neighbors. For their personal gain or benefit. Or positions of power. But the Levites were a national priesthood. That were fed. And provided for. And provided for others through service. By tithings. Free will offerings. And the only require. Of those free will offerings. Is the Holy Spirit. Because if God says give. And you don't give guess what, you will not hear God the next time he speaks. Well, I don't know exactly, I shouldn't say the next time. Eventually, you won't hear God. You will not have ears to hear. If he tells you to give of yourself and you don't give of yourself, then you will become hard of hearing when it comes to hearing the voice of God. So, that's what you need to do. And all the people looking for political solutions and all this stuff, like my friend who put up that mem, big mistake. There is no political solution. Now, I I have uh, family members who have gone uh, <laughs> un- undesirably into politics. They they believe that they're actually led to do this. They have they know every time I talk to them, they know this more and more. There is no political solution. But they have gotten into the doors of principalities. And hopefully they will bring the message of God there. We'll see. Uh, and they have to make their choices. If the world says that, you know, if you're bound in the world, I tell you, if you turn around and start doing what the Israelites did, if you turn around and start doing what the early Christians did at Pentecost, they will cast you out. And But you will also develop eyes to see and ears to hear. And you will begin to see things you could not see before. But you have to see, somewhere along the line, you have to see that systems that rule their neighbors by force instead of by love, cut you off from God. They make the Word of God to none effect. Cain didn't understand that. Nimrod didn't understand. The evil pharaoh of Egypt did not understand that. Caesars of Rome did not understand that well, uh, and often did not understand it at all. Certainly the Pharisees didn't understand it. I actually believe that Caiaphas eventually figured it out. And that's the thing, is that I understand that a lot of the stuff I'm saying to you, you have not heard before. But I can't do anything about that. I still have to tell you what I see. And I put together, with the help of many other people, a website that has lots and lots of live links that will take you through this and show you the way, show you what lively stones are and what the altars of living stones are all about. And, you know, on that page uh, concerning elders, we talk about the Senate. Uh, which was old men, heads of families, picked by other old men, heads of families, to be representatives not in a legislative body that would make laws because they knew the laws were made by God, that rights came from God. It wasn't until they degenerated for a while in this process of taking from others that they couldn't see that anymore, and then there was legislative power in the Senate. But it was almost too late because then they also had an emperor, a commander-in-chief, a father of the nation, a patriarch of society who handed out benefits. The greatest destroyers of liberty are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits because they weaken the people and strengthen the despots. And that's why Polybius said that more than 2,000 years ago. And you're not going to read that in your modern colleges. They're not going to teach you that in your modern colleges. They're going to teach you about Marx <laughs> and how wonderful he was. I mean, they are really doing that. It is unbelievable. I was listening to one after another. They keep going back to that. And a lot of other people that were just as bad. Uh There's a lot more Brutuses in the world than you realize. And yeah, Brutus killed Caesar, but they were all conscripted patries, conscripted fathers. And Jesus said, call no man father upon the earth except my father who art in heaven. And that's where your daily bread should come from. And it can't come from there until the elders of every family start doing what they were meant to do all along. If they want their family cared for by God, they, by God, they better care for the next family as much as their own. And that's what you need. And if you had a nation of people that, that were doing that, now when I say nation, and I even say nation of people, which is rather redundant, a nation is a people. And the, the kingdom of God is a government. It's a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And that was originally in the Wycliffe Bible. You can find that in the introduction, which is undoubtedly where Abraham Lincoln got it from. But it was a voluntary system of the tens, hundreds, and thousands, where people were taking care of one another. People started realizing this even back then. Uh The Lombards realized it. The uh, poor preachers... uh uh realized this, and uh, the governments of the world came down on them with both feet. And now we're out here telling you about it. Uh We have to put on the full armor of God, but so do you. We are not your salvation. Your salvation is in Christ. But it has to be the real Christ. And you have to be doing, striving to do what Christ said to do. You can't just say, Lord, Lord, in your churches. You have to be doers of the word. And doers of the words include sitting down in tens, hundreds, and thousands and loving your neighbor, which means being charitable to your neighbor as much as you would want your neighbor to be charitable towards you. Which means you have to sacrifice and give of yourself, lay down your life according to the leading of the Holy Spirit for your fellow man and do this with ministers who will rightly divide the bread from house to house. But the responsibility of that choice remains with you. That's what they call the perfect law of liberty, a society that operates by faith, hope, and charity. They're not going to take over the governments of the world. They're not going to overthrow the governments of the world. God will overthrow the governments of the world. You know, we we talked at the beginning of the show about you know the climate change and that the scientists are now coming out with fairly good math. That we're likely to go into you know distant projections are always difficult for the future is emotions, <laughs> but uh those predictions are 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 that we're likely to go into global cooling and not global warming, and uh it all has to do, and it always has to do with the activities on the sun and Jesus said, "Look for signs in the sun." And, you know, some of the worst coronal mass ejections that I have ever seen, I've been watching it for over half a century. uh Some of the worst coronal mass ejections have taken place during solar minimums, not when there's all the sunspots, because it's kind of like a pressure cooker in a teapot. If uh, the pressure is still there internally, and uh, if there isn't a lot of release on the surface through sunspots, that's when you get the massive, I mean, the, the largest coronal mass ejection that we have observed since our day of satellites uh, took place during a sol- period of solar minimum. Fortunately, the coronal mass ejection did not come towards the planet. Had that hit our planet, had that projection from the sun hit our planet, it could have knocked out all power on the face of the earth. And... uh And because it was actually a series of uh, coronal mass ejections that took place in a matter of minutes uh, and you could see several troidal balls formed one right after another, that that kind of barrage towards the earth could knock out power on both sides of the earth or at least one side more than the other, but probably both sides would be severely hit. Estimates according to the U.S. government is that 90% of the population of the world would be dead within the first year. Not from the sun and the fire and brimstone you might actually see as the magnetic field collapse, but simply because food, power, everything would go away. And there would probably be uh invasions and what have you because the same problems would be hitting everybody else. And... uh so that's a real possibility. Uh, but, uh, it, I, I don't want anybody to be afraid of that. It's, it's likely to happen eventually sometime or another. It could be a hundred years or five hundred years. I mean, we've seen them in 1800s. It could have probably done the same thing. And we saw them also take place at the time of Christ. That's absolutely correct. Right at the time of Christ, they were the same kind of coronal mass ejections hitting the earth, which I always found fascinating. They actually thought, I mean, you could read print on a scroll in Rome from the light of the Aurora Borealis, from those coronal mass ejections that took place at the time of Jesus Christ. And, and he's the one that said, look for signs in the sun. And the moon and the stars. But anyway, he wasn't talking astrology, but the reality is all kinds of things could happen. But really what you want to happen is your eyes be open, the scales come off. I can't take those off of you. God will take them off of you if you turn around, repent, think a different way. And that way is really simple. It's not being angry at government or the people in government or any of that stuff. It's about learning to love one another and forgive one another. You have to forgive the government first. If you want to overcome the dictators of the world, you have to forgive them first. If Christ could do it with nails pounded into him, you ought to be able to do it now. All this anger and resentment towards the the governments of the world is a mistake. It's it's going to suck you into the dark side, folks. So don't go that way. So anyway, I hope to eventually put uh, a study guides. I've started it on our eldership page. Uh, and we'll have these audios there. And you could go through these step by step and read them. But if you join the network and you have questions, we'd be glad to answer them there as best we can. But you have to... Join the Living Network. Sit down in these congregations of 10. You have to organize yourselves. You're not looking for the perfect minister because I can guarantee you're not the perfect congregant. You're looking for the pattern that Christ said to sit in. And He sat with, with publicans. He sat with uh, prostitutes. He sat with the, the, almost anybody. If they would sit and listen to the way and seek that way, then they would be a part, you know, those people who followed them out into the wilderness, they weren't just coming for the party. They were beginning to make real choices. These are the peculiar people that will make a difference. The people who just want to shake their hand in the air and say they want their rights back because I have my inalienable rights and all this stuff, but they don't want to take their responsibilities back. Their eyes will not be open. They'll know all kinds of information, but it's all plucked from the tree of knowledge. You want the, 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 that which comes from the tree of life. And the way you get life more abundant is you lay down your life for your fellow man. For your neighbor. For your enemy. Uh, because that's how you are, become an overcomer. Because evil wants, evil doesn't care if you war against it. They just want you to react to its presence. And, and it be, by you reacting and whether you act with resentment or conformity, it doesn't really matter. They become your God when they stimulate your actions. So this is what you have to do is turn around and go that other way in faith, in hope, in charity. So there is no tithing requirement by man. There is the requirement of sacrifice and mercy and and all the sacrifice that comes when you tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. You have to care about your neighbor. This is why you see this crazy behavior uh, on college campuses. Uh, that's one place I see a lot of it. I actually see it on the streets. You see, you know, somebody makes a joke on an elevator and they're... The, they're in a threat, you know, way away from work with people they don't even know, and it's it's not even it, not even a joke about anybody else, and they get called over the coal, raked over the coals, and their job is threatened. It's insane, and you're going to see more and more of that. So that's another reason why coming together makes absolute perfect sense. But I don't want you to come together because you're afraid of you know having somebody take your children away or forcing you to take vaccinations or or. Or food running out or whatever. I want you to come together out of love. You won't come together out of perfect love because perfect love is not in you. But by coming together, you can deal with the imperfections of love in you so that they become, you become perfected in Christ's love. That's why he commanded his disciples to make the people organize in that ancient of ancient fashions of tens. And and that's why you should be doing it too. So I'm actually saying you should do that. People are always saying, what should I do? Do that. You know, now how you do that, that's going to be, you know, I'm just pointing you in that direction. You know, if you want to go to Japan, I can point to Japan, but I'm not going to navigate across the ocean because I don't want to go to Japan. So I'm just pointing you towards the kingdom of God. But you find the kingdom of God within you And you often do that by turning around and seeking that kingdom and the righteousness of God in your relationships with everybody else, including the governments of the world, including your neighbor, including your enemies. And that's if you can learn to love your neighbor and then also love your enemy, you must be getting better at forgiveness. You just can't do it without forgiveness. And so all these things that were impressed upon us by Christ, that's what we're preaching. And so anyway, until then, until you get to that point, go to the websites, join the network, and until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless.